This morning, our scripture is from Jeremiah and Job. The first reading is the call of Jeremiah to serve as God's prophet to Judah and beyond. The second reading is from the story of Job, whose suffering was so severe he questioned God. Friends offered him their counsel and explanations, but Job wanted God to answer him. Job gets his wish. This passage is only the beginning of what God has to say. From Jeremiah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. From Job chapter 38. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plan with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me, if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set, or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted of joy. What is the way to the abode of light? And where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. Can you bind the chain of the Pallades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? The word of the Lord. I know the earthquake um, that hit in southern Mexico, the hurricane that is barreling down on Florida at this time, all those things kind of have, um, are present with us when we gather here to worship today. It was also with the residents of Juvenile Hall uh, Unit 6 when I arrived on Friday Someone had told them all these events and then had them read from Mark 13, where it predicts the end of the, end of the age. And um, talks about fires and earthquakes, and I don't think it mentions hurricanes, but storms. And then it says, and rumors of war. And so they were all excited when they saw me walk in with my Bible. <laughs> and they said, you got any other interesting stories in there? You know, ones like that? And I, I was just so fascinated by why that had their attention. Um, I said, oh yeah, this book is full of good stories. 
And they go, when I read it, it doesn't seem to have that, you know. And I said, oh yeah, you can easily get lost in some of the other stuff. But, but this, this book offers us an, a picture of what God's intentions for this world is all about. And then they lost interest as soon as I mentioned God. <laughs> well, at least that part. Then they wanted to talk of the Bible itself. They said, I mean, the, the one that I had, they wanted to trade me theirs for mine. <laughs> I also met with a colleague earlier in the week, and we were talking about the sermon and she said, what are you preaching on? I said, the sovereignty of God. And as I've been preparing, I'm thinking I should have narrowed my topic a little more. <laughs> she, said, she laughed and said, good luck. We live with questions. Questions we ask of ourselves, questions we ask of others, questions about life questions about God, questions about history, questions about the future, questions that we give our attention to and, and seriously consider are important to how we live. Today I want to invite you to consider this question, who is at the center of your world? Who is at the center of your world? You'll notice it's not what is at the center. I'm not asking what holds your interests or gets your energy or, or attention or time, but rather, who is it that influences your direction, your, um, your focus? Who directs or controls the world that you inhabit? Now, most of us, if we're truly honest we would say, I do. I pursue life goals. I choose a line of work. I choose where I live. I order my daily activities and priorities. I solve problems. One person even said it this way, I think, therefore I am. And even our spiritual lives can be a matter of self-determination, of how what I do in order to feel a connection with God. But we make a fundamental mistake when we begin with ourselves rather than starting with God. Because in doing so, we think that God is an object that we have questions of. We're curious and we make inquiries, we read books, we'll, we'll have discussions about God. We'll even go to worship or, or watch a sunset or take in some musical um, symphony in order to feel a sense of reverence of God. Today's scripture texts have something important to teach us about ourselves, and about God. Both of them affirm that God is at the center from which all 
all of life develops. The Jeremiah passage conveys the eminence and personal involvement of God in our lives. The Job passage conveys the holy otherness of God, that aspect of God that we don't quite comprehend. God's majesty, God's mystery, God's transcendence. Jeremiah's text will remind us that God is personal. God is with us. God is for us. And God works his purposes in and through us. The Job text will remind us that our language that we use to describe God is lacking and incomplete perhaps even misleading. God's ways are higher than our ways and God's thinking beyond our thoughts. To Jeremiah, God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. That phrase alone ought to live with you for the week. It ought to haunt you. Eugene Peterson draws out for us what this meant for Jeremiah. Uh, the idea of the reality of God at work in our lives. He says, long before we ever got around to asking questions about God, God's been questioning us. Long before we got interested in the subject of God, God subjected us to the most intensive and searching knowledge before it ever crossed our minds that God might be important, God has singled us out as important. Before we are formed in the womb, God knew us. We are known before we ever know. There's a rose on the organ today. It's there to mark the birth of Calvin Van Dordrecht. Now there's a good combination of a name. His grandpa's sitting right over there. No one's gonna have to tell Calvin that he's entered a world he did not create. He'll get that soon enough. He's going to grow into a life that's already provided for him. He's arrived in a world of complex relationships with other wills and destinies that are already well underway before he's ever been introduced. Although the good, um, the good child uh, doctors and child psychologists will tell you, you've got to change your thinking, not have the child change his or her thinking. I remember when our child wouldn't sleep through the night for years on end, we kept looking for the right answer. And finally, one doctor said, you're just going to have to adjust to his will and destiny. <laughs> There's three of you now, not two. But nevertheless, Calvin's going to have to make some adjustments. And if he's going to live appropriately, he's going to become aware that he's living in the middle of a story that's already begun and will be concluded by another. 
And that other is God. Or take Job's story, a story of grave suffering, sorrow, and pain. I think we're drawn to it because we've all experienced a slice of Job's life in one form or another. For him and others, though, it didn't add up what he went through. Someone as good and God-fearing as Job should not have to suffer like that. No one should, but especially someone who's on God's side. How could God allow it? To comfort him and help him with his understanding, some friends show up and they offer their explanations and reasoning. And this goes on for a while. But Job's unconvinced. The one thing he has resolve about is that God owes him. God owes him an explanation and he won't be satisfied until he hears directly from God. Now, it's generally thought the book of Job is an attempt to explain this problem of undeserved suffering. You can read it over and over again. It's not that. If anything, you're concluded with the fact that the purpose demonstrates that God is truly God over against presumptions and imaginations of any human being. Job and his friends have tried to circumscribe God, and Job himself is so wrapped up in the recital of his own innocence and his virtue that he actually is sitting in judgment on God. But when you read through the book of Job, one of the things that that will strike you as God never addresses Job's suffering, never speaks of it anywhere. Nor does he give an answer to Job. In fact, it's quite the opposite. He's the one who calls Job into question. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Will you put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me in order to justify yourself? Instead of an answer or an explanation, God reveals himself. Now, if we're honest, and when we see ourselves in alignment with Job, we know what misery and suffering can do. It can make your vision be rather limited. You don't see very far beyond your own circumstances, and that's understandable. But the thing this book reminds us is that Job lost sight of the fact that God exists entirely apart from Job's need for him. It becomes this grand declaration of the reality of the very being of God. Now, we all know there's been a string of of people who want to say, if you believe in God, it's your crutch. 
that's of your own making. Take the words of the father of psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud. He considered belief in God to be nothing more than an illusion. He said, human beings give the name of God to some vague abstraction which they have created for themselves. Their God is nothing more than an insubstantial shadow. Well, you're going to have to decide which is right. Do we believe in a God made in our own image based on our need for a powerful protector and vindicator? Or are we made in the image of God? In the image of a creator who's sovereign over all that this world holds. Some of you who have been in a new members class may have heard me refer to this story, but I don't think I've ever used it in a sermon before. I chose to go to Fuller Seminary because of the writings of a man named George Eldon Ladd. And so when, in the first week that I was there, when I found out he was speaking in chapel, I was going to be there. He told his life story, and, and in it he spoke of his wandering years. Um, you know what those are like. And then he said this, I was 17 years of age when God found me. And I never heard anything after that because I had never heard anything like that. I had always grown up in a tradition where people spoke it this way. I was 17 years of age when I found God. And the story is all from that vantage point. So I waited until he was done speaking and very eager to speak to him, I went up and I said, Dr. Ladd, do you mind if I ask you a question? And he looked me over and said, go ahead. And I said, what did you mean when you said you were 17 years of age when God found you? I've never heard that before. And he looked at me and he said, you're new here, right? You're a freshman. And I said, yes. And I understood later why he asked that. He he was saying, you've still got time to learn. Maybe you'll acquire some theology while you're here. <laughs> he didn't say that, but I, I figured it out for myself. Because he said, just quite simply, well, let me ask you a question. I said, okay. He said, which one of us was lost? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that whole idea changed everything for me in terms of my understanding of God. Everything about my life oriented around me. My understanding of God, my understanding of, of being a Christian and how to practice what that meant depended entirely on me. A year later, I experienced grace for the first time in my life. Now, mind you, I was destined to be a pastor who had never experienced grace before. Thank goodness I've learned some things along the way.
You see, there's a big difference if it's up to you to find your way to God versus accepting the reality that God might be finding you. God always makes the first move in our rescue and our reconciliation. If not, we're in big trouble. God is sovereign over creation and history, and God's sovereign over His purpose in your own salvation and mine. I used to think that that phrase of being lost referred to whether someone remained a non-believer versus someone who had come to put their faith and trust in God. As if there's two camps. There's those that are found and those that are lost. But I now see it more as a descriptor, describing where any of us might be in relationship to God and as a measure or level of our trust in God. In a world of uncertainty like ours, or having experienced trauma and grief, or sorrow to a magnitude that it, it knocks the wind out of you and disorients you to the point that you don't know whether to move or what direction to move in. I have found myself lost in relationship to God at times like that. I'm not doubting whether God exists. I just don't understand. I believe God's sovereign, but I, I, the pieces don't fit together. But even more common is the experience of coming here on a Sunday and singing songs like we've sung earlier, and we'll sing some more and offering prayers and hearing a sermon and reading text. And I go, yes, God is sovereign. I believe it. God rules. God intends good for each and every one of us. But then when Monday comes, I basically take it all back. It's not that I don't mean it. It just is that I'm pretty competent. I'll take care of this. I've got this week. I order my schedule. I think of all the things I need to do and the energy I need to address them. And then I say, God, if I need you, I'll call on you. And then I'll tell you what I need you to do. That's not believing in the sovereignty of God, that's believing in myself. It's so easy for us as Americans to believe that that's who God is. Someone who, who's there for us when we need him. Who's at our beck and call. But if you reread Job, you're not so inclined to think that anymore. You begin to ask, who, who am I? 
that you even take note of me. And Lord, what is your intention? What good are you working in the life of the person I know who's suffering? I can't see it. But real faith is trusting that that's who God is even when you can't. The sovereignty of God does not depend on whether you believe it or not. Trust me. But how you will live in relationship to God and relationship to others is greatly affected whether you believe it or not. May God help us do so.